Welcome to CruxCast. Whether you're in your car, at work, or at home, we hope you enjoy this interview. And if you do, you can find more like it on cruxinvestor.com. So please subscribe. We caught up earlier this morning with Sean Werner, who's MD and CEO of Sierra Resources, a graphite company on the ASX. And if you want our thoughts and opinions on the conversation, the company's plans, and indeed the company itself, you can find that at cruxinvestor.com forward slash club where you can also find detailed company reports. There are commentaries from experts from around the world on a variety of companies and commodities, and there are training videos, uh, summaries of other interviews that we've done, and of course our thriving community of investors sharing their thoughts and ideas with each other in a nice safe environment. So do go along and join them at cruxinvestor.com forward slash club. Hey, Sean, how are you doing, sir? Very well, thank you, Matt. Nice to spend the time with you. Yeah, well, uh, thanks for joining us all the way from Oz. How are things down in Melbourne? Not too bad. We're uh, at the end of the uh, the COVID lockdowns here, so getting back into a bit of freedom and uh, very good to see people out on the street again. And will you be travelling anytime soon? Well, that's probably a little more difficult. The borders are still uh, still shut, but yeah, absolutely, it's um, it's necessary to get back out there as soon as we can. Yeah, and um, in terms of like running businesses, you find it's fine. Technology is your friend. Don't need to be on site. Yeah, it's actually been surprisingly, uh, surprisingly smooth um, for someone who was on the road uh, probably a third of the time. Uh, we've managed to keep people, um, keep in touch with people really well, and you know, whether it be customers, investors, uh, all sorts of stakeholders. Um, obviously, it's it's better face to face at times for certain uh, certain types of interactions, but overall, it's been pretty good. I think people have been flexible. And they've really tried to uh, to make it work through some pretty difficult times. Okay, fantastic. Well, look, um, we're going to learn about the world of graphite and your company today. But before we do, could you give us that one minute overview of the business, please? Yeah, sure. No worries. So, Syra Resources uh, is the world's largest uh, producer of natural graphite. We have the Balama uh, Graphite Mine and Processing Plant in Mozambique. Uh, we're headquartered in Melbourne in Australia uh, and we're in the process of developing uh, the first ex-China um, active anode material plant in Vidalia in Louisiana in the US. Um, we have a, a marketing and trading office out of Dubai uh, and we have uh, strong relationships into China which is currently the largest consumer of, of natural graphite. So. Quite a uh, quite a wide wide reach for uh, a company in its early stages, but um, you know we've been in production since late 2017, uh, and although the market conditions have been particularly tough in the last uh, year or so, um, we're really excited about where we're going with uh, with the Vidalia plant and the potential to bring uh, the Balama operation back to market. It's been really tough. I mean. It's- I think as you've alluded to a couple of times there, you know, Balama's had to shut down because of market conditions. So um, we better try and understand your business plan for moving things forward. Um, so I guess let's start with the, the two operations. Let's start with Balama. That's that's in Mozambique. Yeah. So what's happening there? Yeah, so we started Balama in 2017, uh, the end of 2017. Uh, and in 2019, even running at 50% capacity, we became the, the world's largest uh, producer, integrated producer of natural graphite. And uh, we produced about 150,000 tonnes. The capacity of the operations around 350,000 tonnes and the current global market is just over 800,000 tonnes a year. So it gives you a sense of the scale of the operation that was built. In the second half of uh, 2019, we saw... 
the uh, year-on-year and month-on-month growth in electric vehicles, uh, particularly in China, uh, fall for the first time. And that was really a direct result of the reduction in subsidies for EVs uh, in China in the second half of last year. So in the very back end of 2019, we took a decision to moderate production at Balama uh, and await a a rebalancing in the market. And uh, we had started to see that at the start of 2020, um, uh, 2020, but uh, unfortunately it coincided with uh, the start of COVID and the impacts there. So in March this year, we uh, put Balama on a temporary suspension, um, awaiting uh, the removal of restrictions around COVID and an improvement in market conditions. And I'm pleased to say that uh, we're starting to see those market conditions improve um, and starting to look forward to uh, when we might restart the Balama operation. I mean, we better try and understand what the natural graphite market is. And I know you're talking about being an integrated uh, company, right? But talk about the size of the market because it doesn't seem very big. And if it's it, was it unusual, this this kind of two-year hiatus of where the pricing wasn't where you wanted it to be? I mean, what was causing that? Yeah, I think, so as I said, the current market's about 800,000 tonnes a year. Um, and with the growth of electric vehicles, we expect that market to triple in the next decade. Um, and currently uh, around 65% of mined production globally has come from China. Uh, and more than 50% of consumptions in China. And all of the growth essentially uh, that we expect in this market um, is expected to come from lithium-ion battery anode demand, primarily driven by electric vehicles. So Balama was really built in anticipation of that demand growth. Uh, And when that demand growth slowed uh, back into last year, that's what... uh, necessitated the uh, the moderation of production. Um, so yes, it was something that was really unexpected. I mean, I think if you if you go back uh, a couple of years, if you had have said to anyone that the uh, the year on year growth rate of EVs in China was going to fall in the back end of 2019, they would have said you were mad. Uh, so you know we're really um, uh, in a position where we're uh, have been awaiting that. Um, improvement in year-on-year growth and in the, in the second half of 2020 we're really starting to see that come through. Right, but you're not focused on China, you're, you're focusing on Europe and US. Um, that's why you've kind of set up the US operation, I guess. Yeah, so, so it's important to distinguish between the natural graphite concentrate out of Balama uh, and the active anode material downstream processing plant in the US. So Balama's capacity uh, and the demand for natural graphite concentrate um, is primarily coming from China. So we sold uh, around 80% of our 2019 production into China. Um, And that's where the vast majority of anode production is currently coming from. Um, So there are three steps in in, uh, the, or three major steps in the anode production uh, supply chain in natural graphite. You've got the natural graphite concentrate. You've got a precursor material, which is a milled and shaped graphite. Um, And 100% of that precursor, which is going into the anode uh, lithium-ion battery business, is currently coming from China. Then you've got the finished anode, which is uh, a coating applied to that purified spherical graphite. 
and about 85% of the anode globally comes from, from China. So you can see that the lithium-ion battery industry at the moment um, is almost totally reliant on Chinese supply. And that's why uh, we've chosen to, to build uh, a fully integrated plant uh, for active anode material in the US. Right, so it's, quite, it's a tough one at the moment because the Europeans haven't quite got their act together, neither has the US. The Chinese are, you know, they're much more advanced, right? So you as an organization have got to think, well, how do I get my funding? You've just done a BFS, the numbers look good. You've got to get operations up and running again at Balama. You've got to fund the build. Um, where's that money coming from? Yeah, so um, let me start with the, the anode material side. Um, the, the plant that we're looking to build in Vidalia uh, that we've just done the feasibility study for, we absolutely uh, see a funding source uh, and funding mix around that, which is driven by offtake of sales contracts uh, underpinning that, uh, that plant. From where? Uh, from the US and Europe. So, you know, we're seeing that, that major expansion of lithium-ion battery manufacturing capacity and EV manufacturing capacity in Europe and the US. Um, and there is a real desire amongst uh, OEMs and amongst uh, cell manufacturers to ensure that they have at least a complementary source of supply uh, but uh, preferably also an alternative source of supply. And, and that's critical given that, that current very heavy reliance that the supply chain has on China. Okay, and are we seeing, obviously there's, you've got different types of products at different stages, but are you seeing the, the, the price discovery in the market again that's gonna lend you and your, the lenders of any capital that you need to go and get comfort that you're gonna be able to produce at margins allowing you to you know, repay them and we'll make money. Yeah, I think certainly the, the, the feasibility study and the, the, the basis on which the feasibility study was built was that we had to have an OPEX base for the plant in the US, which was competitive with China. Um, and that's been our focus uh, right from day one. Um, we have no uh, desire to try and sell material to China. This is really around ensuring that the cost base allowed for, for a competitive price compared to uh, Chinese sourced material or Chinese material which is being uh, value added in Japan and Korea. So we've been very focused on that right from, from day one um, and our interactions in the supply chain uh, indicate that, um, you know, that this sort of cost base uh, that we've put forward in the BFS uh, is absolutely competitive. So how important is the integrated component to you? Because, uh, you know, we've got a, another couple of graphite companies coming on, well, this week and the beginning of next. Um, given the size of the market, not very big, it seems, um, you know, new entrants coming on at the you know, beginning of the supply chain is it, it's quite damaging. Right, because there's more supply in the market, um, prices get affected. So, is that is that the defence mechanism, the integration? Yeah, partially, but really, it's about the quality of your asset uh, when it comes to uh, uh, your competitive positioning. Yeah. And it's really worth pointing out that you know Balama's entry into the upstream natural graphite market in late 2017 
is the first major new product uh, project to uh, to come on stream for quite some time. And as I mentioned earlier, that 350,000 tonne capacity put a massive break on uh, projects that would potentially follow. Um, Balama's reserve, um, you know, gives us a 50-year mine life at 350,000 tonnes uh, annual production. And the uh, reserve grade is over 16% TGC compared to uh, an average of between five and eight elsewhere in the world. So the quality uh, in the ground, uh, the size of the asset and the cost competitiveness of when this thing runs at full capacity really puts a, a moat around it compared to um, uh, projects which may wish to follow. So having said that, the target market for that material um, is primarily China at the moment. And in order to, to diversify that market, the integrated strategy of building the active anode material plant in the US, supplying the US market and the European market gives us uh, an alternative uh, outlet for that material as it grows, at the same time that buyers are looking to localise that source of active anode material supply. So your current, your current market that you're aiming for would be China? Or from Balama in Mozambique, yeah, around 80% goes into China. Right. And that would be on the basis of fixed term contracts, offtakes? So primarily um, the way that we set up the start of, of Balama was to get volume-based offtakes um, and to have a mix of spot contracts as well because one of the, the really interesting things about the natural graphite market and the fact that China has, has dominated both uh, consumption and supply for so long is that price discovery was really challenging. Um, and in order to uh, to make uh, the best possible fist of that as we entered the market, uh, we had a mix of contracting types and a mix of contracting tenors. Um, and China is always challenging uh, on fixed price offtake uh, contracts. I've worked across uh, a number of commodities over my 25 years. Uh, and really, it's about ensuring that we can place that material and the spot market in China will determine uh, the price that's paid in China. So, outside of China, mm -hmm. in, just going to say outside of China in the industrial markets, there's a, a much uh, stronger term contract and fixed contract, fixed price contract culture. Uh, a lot of tenders run, et cetera. So the mix in the book um, does lend itself between term at volume, spot price and term at a fixed price as well. See, I always find it interesting when companies come on the show and they talk about <clears throat> we're going to be ex-China, where we, we don't need them. We're trying to we're going to operate outside of China. But the first thing they do is take Chinese money because it enables them to get get things going, right? And so you, you're having to do that. So how do the Chinese feel about enabling a potential competitor down the line? Because you're using quite you're using language a lot in your presentations. We're ex-China, so they got to see that. Yeah. So does that affect yeah. conversations? Can we talk about. We talk about ex-China, but we also talk about being a complementary source. And ultimately here, this market is growing so quickly um, and has the potential to be so large that there is room for everyone. Um, you know, a lot of my background was in was in the base metals industry, and there's there's a, a very strong um, history of uh, companies selling concentrates into smelters and then competing with those smelters by producing metals same time. So I view this as a very similar situation in that, you know, your customer base in some parts of the supply chain can be your competitor. You can have, um, you know, a constructive relationship around that, particularly where there's strong market growth. So I don't see that uh, as an issue. 
but of course, there's competitive tension there. Yeah. So competitive tension um, in today's environment where people talk about you know critical minerals lists and you know protectionism and so forth, nationalism and so forth. It comes back to my the first earlier question around how do you yeah. get this thing financed? If people are looking at Chinese money involved, is that affecting conversations in the West with regards to being able to get the funding that you need off, you know, off the back of your BFS? Yeah, look, SAR has been um, you know strongly equity funded right from from the outset, and one of the the really interesting things about it compared to a number of other battery raw materials projects, particularly in the lithium space. Uh, is that we don't have that challenge of, um, you know, geopolitically differentiated shareholder base um, that uh, that can be really tough to manage. Um, so we see uh, that the the US plant really provides an opportunity for funding on the basis of it being built and supplying that US and European market. Um, and certainly, I think uh, there's there's a very strong um, appreciation now for the importance of independence in supply, or at least uh, multiple sources of supply, and that's you know you're seeing that come through in in government uh, critical minerals uh, discussion. You're seeing it come through in the way that OEMs and cell manufacturers are approaching their long-term sourcing discussions. So it's it's something that uh, you know is not unique to the battery space. Uh, I think there's there's very few um, places in the world where you'd be happy with a, a single supplier from a single country. Okay, so talk to me about the US operation again, because like I say, you're talking about anode material uh, yep. manufactured there. And that is that because there's um, the further downstream you go, there's more of a, a premium, you're capturing more of the margin. Um, so how how are you going to how are you going to be able to deliver this in short order to be able to get the kind of contracts you want you know stateside you know are, are yep. you, what sorts of conversations are you having now with OEMs these these automotive manufacturers um, about you know them trying to secure because we've seen we've seen people like Tesla go and do deals with Piedmont on the lithium side right they want to secure a lithium supply of hydroxide lithium uh, down the line are they are they having the same conversations with, with graphite companies. Look, I think certainly the, the OEMs and the cell manufacturers are as interested in their anode source of supply as they are in their cathode sources of supply. There's, there's no doubt that it's as important. Um, I think the last couple of years has really seen uh, a strong focus from the, the OEMs and cell manufacturers on that diversification piece uh, that I talked about before. It's important to recognise with the US that we uh, started work there in 2018 and we have existing um, uh, infrastructure in place. We have 5,000 tonnes of milling and shaping capacity. We have purification capacity and we're working with a, a toll partner on carbonisation, which is the last step in active anode material production as we install our uh, our furnace in Q1 next year. So that whole process has been designed around getting product into uh, OEMs and into cell manufacturers for testing and qualification um, because you have to be having those conversations at the same time as you're bringing forward a project like Vidalia and the BFS looking to move to commercial capacity because a, a buyer wants to know that the, the product quality and performance is there, that something is cost competitive and it's going to be able to scale.
uh, and the combination of the, the testing and development work that we're doing and the BFS gives those uh, discussions that we're having a real added impetus. And so how important is the lithium-ion battery in cars to your business? Because I, I kind of imagine if, I, if I'm a CEO of a graphite company or any commodity company that's a battery metal, when a Tesla day happens, I've kind of got my heart in my mouth going, Oh man, I hope they don't come up with a new design. You know, you know, we've we've seen that with kind of, you know, cobalt or uh, like like even sort of, you know, the, the different commodities because there are new designs coming up all the time. So, where's the business outside of lithium-ion batteries? Uh, all of the growth is related to lithium-ion batteries, and I think it's really important to appreciate that anode composition in a lithium-ion battery since the date of commercialization has been graphite. It's been a mix of natural and synthetic graphite, um, but it's been graphite from then to now. There is the addition of some uh, silicon, um, but a small proportion of silicon is going into some types of anode material, but uh, lithium-ion battery anode material is graphite. Um, And all of the uh, lithium-ion battery uh, expansion capacity, production capacity expansions that are going on, and the anode uh, production capacity expansions to support that are based on graphite anodes. So whilst we expect to see some some addition of silicon, um, the likelihood of a a fundamental substitution of material um, or a a significant change in in blending is is not something that worries us at the moment in the next 10 years. Uh, we're, We're really... Um, quite confident about the composition of the, the lithium-ion battery anode. Right. Okay. Okay. So they, they've been having conversations with you. There's nothing that indicates that there's any any change on the horizon. Um, but so that so you were saying there, there's no plan B because there's no need for a plan B. Well, it, it's a, it's an interesting one because um, you know if you look back at the natural graphite market historically, it was all industrial uses, steel making, refactories. Um, uh, various specialty uses, you know, 300 plus uh, uh, uses for graphite. And, you know, at the moment we're probably at uh, 25% to 30% lithium ion battery demand um, as a proportion of, of demand. And that very quickly moves to 80 and 90% in that market because of the adoption of lithium ion batteries and EVs. Um, so, you know, the industrial market. Steelmaking will grow, uh, you know, sort of GDP, IP levels, of course, but um, the the real uh, story here for the natural graphite market and the anode market is around lithium-ion batteries and EVs being the major driver in that. Okay. So tell me what stage you're at with regards to financing because you're going to need these optics in place, presumably. You're going to need agreements and contracts and people have some sense of your economics, I guess, from the the BFS, obviously, when when things get uh, up and running back in Mozambique. But um, where are you with those conversations? What is, how much money are you raising? How long is it going to take? So, so the BFS uh, outlines two cases that we have for the, the Vidalia plant. One is a 10,000 tonne anode plant um, per annum, and the other is a 40,000 tonne case. Um, and just uh, as a little bit of background, uh, there's roughly two tonnes of um, natural graphite concentrate goes to produce one tonne of natural graphite anode material. Um, a little bit, a uh, little bit under that. Um, so we've been really clear with uh, the development path for Vidalia and the an- active anode material plant that we will seek to get those uh, offtake arrangements in place 
before we make an investment decision uh, to, to move to construction. At the moment, uh, we're adequately funding the, the day-to-day operation of the Dahlia. Um, and what we need to do to get qualification material into the hands of customers for assessment. Um, we have a detailed design phase that we need to head through in the first half of 2021. Um, but the 120-odd the million dollars that's required for uh, construction and commissioning of a 10,000-tonne plant um, is something that we will seek to fund on the basis of uh, arrangements with offtake customers. Uh, we do see that there's a good basis uh, for um, uh, for debt funding, a significant portion of that. Um, you know, clearly a uh, a manufacturing plant with a with an offtake uh, or a series of offtakes in the US is a very different proposition to a resources project in Mozambique in a market that people don't understand. Um, and as I said, it's a it's a path around uh, not just. Uh, a BFS, it's a path around product development qualification processes as well. So the BFS is something which is important to continue um, to facilitate those discussions and to give a lot more insight uh, into how we uh, bring this capacity to market. But it's not something that uh, has a binary impact uh, uh, the day it's released. Right. And with regards to you know, getting product in the hand of potential off-takers, I mean, how long do they sit on this? What, 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 when do they come out and go, okay, it, this, is, this is good. We will put, we'll sign a contract with you. We'll do an off-take agreement yeah. with you. Yeah, so it, it obviously differs by customer and by, by application. Uh, but really... We, the way we see it is it's, it separates into two key steps. The first is uh, a review of um, the physical uh, and chemical characteristics and performance of the material. Uh, and that's something that doesn't take a long time. Um, it's done through, through cell testing um, and uh, an elemental analysis, of course. Um, and that's uh, you know that can happen in a couple of months. Uh, the second second part of the process uh, is life cycle testing, um, and that can take a long time. You know, it can be 12 months plus uh, to get that uh, life cycle testing complete. And that's why you know this is a process that we started some time ago. Um, but we also see uh, that there are not just drivers around the product performance that. Um, that will facilitate offtake. There's obviously also alternative sourcing, cost, and particularly now uh, when we look at uh, the US and the EU, um, ESG considerations and the environmental differentiation of, of products uh, are coming out of the supply chain. So we see all of those things as, uh, as, as uh, important um, and contributing to that conversation. Right, but so in terms of ramp up, I'm, I'm trying to get a, an understanding of how quickly this thing, this thing ramps up. I, I get the the, the sure. two cases, ten thousand versus forty thousand. Yep. The former more likely than the latter. Yeah, I'd say so. I mean, we we uh, had a, a, an interesting experience bringing a three hundred and fifty thousand ton capacity mine to an eight hundred thousand ton market. Uh, I think we've taken a very different approach as we've put, put together the BFS for the downstream plant. Um, you know, the, the 10,000 tonne capacity uh, in the timing that it would come on, uh, sort of mid-23, uh, end of 23, um, would see us being no more than what we expect to be somewhere between 10 and 15% of what's required in the US alone. 
Um, and having the US and Europe as potential markets mean that we're taking a much more conservative approach. Right. So in, so in terms of the revenue generation from Mozambique with off-tech sales, yep. there'll, there'll be revenue um, generated there. You're going to have to work out how you construct the funding for the, you know, would you, would you call it a pilot plant initially? I mean, how, how are you positioning it? No, no, this is absolutely a commercial scale right. plant. Absolutely. Okay, yeah. right. So 2023 for until, until revenues. So what happens between now and 2023? Well, I think uh, clearly the, the um, planning that OEMs and cell manufacturers are doing is a long way out and um, making sure that they have capacity available because there's nothing else coming on in the meantime uh, is important uh, in the US. Um, so we certainly see that um, you know that that funding path uh, is available there to um, uh, for us to pursue and, and to get the uh, the Vidalia plant process up and running. In the meantime, of course, it is critical that we get um, Balama uh, back to market. And you know, as I said earlier, the market conditions um, are starting to look more positive there. Uh, but revenue generation out of Palama over the uh, the coming years intervening between um, between now and when uh, Badalia comes on is is important for sure. So I mean, you, you've talked about the European and, and US OEMs, um, and we've seen yep. lots of governments throwing subsidies out, and we've t- seen well here in the UK, you know, twenty forty goes to twenty thirty in terms of uh, you know the ban on sales of you know petrol or diesel cars, catalytic converter cars. Um, where, when are you seeing the recovery of, you know, in the graphite market with, the, with regards to the different products in there? Um, because it's hard for us to sort of understand the market. It's, it's kind of small, it's fairly opaque in the sense that it's hard to sort of fathom pricing and therefore, you know, you know, when do your economics really kick in here? Because it's all, at the moment, it's just kind of a spreadsheet exercise, it seems, for us as investors. Yeah, sure. No, as we look at the upstream natural graphite market, we're already seeing uh, price recovery uh, in the coarse flake market, which is a smaller portion of the market. Um, But the industrial uses uh, for coarse flake and the challenges that have been there in in supply uh, with us out of the market um, and with with low prices and lower production uh, over the last, uh, last six to 12 months, uh, mean that, that that there has been some recovery there already. Um, the key, however, for the fines market, which is the bulk of our production, uh, about uh, 80 to 85%, um, is that uh, electric vehicle and lithium-ion battery-driven demand. And if you look at uh, Q3, compared to the first half of the year, we had electric vehicle um sales and production growth up 70% year on year. Uh, Anode production um, in the last couple of months has been up around 40% year on year. So that demand is starting to feed through to the natural graphite market, uh, the fines market in China. Uh, And we've just started to see in the the last few weeks, the first signs of the price uptick uh, in China for that fines material. So um, we're... uh, you know, obviously cautiously optimistic around that. Um, and it's an important uh, decision for us, obviously, with a, a large production capacity and wanting to bring uh, Balama back online in a sustainable way, that we have a view that there's good momentum and growth in that market before we make that restart decision. 
Okay, so cautiously optimistic means that you've got to bide your time until you see certain signs in the marketplace. So some of the things that you just said you hope will happen. What's the, what's the, what's the moment you say, this, this is good enough for us to get going? This is good enough for us to actually, you know, sign, sign the, the term sheets that you may or may not have at that time. What do you need to say? Yeah, I think it's the, it's the million-dollar question. Uh, it's also one that's uh, extremely commercially sensitive, right, because the minute uh, that the market is um, is aware that the Lama is coming back online and we've made that decision and there's a two- to three-month ramp-up uh, period, um, then obviously, uh, you know, the need to, to place material and the tension in the market uh, has the potential to shift. So we're uh, we're keeping that uh, that assessment process very much to ourselves at the moment. But um, the the factors that we watch uh, are absolutely those that I'm, I mentioned: EV sales growth, anode production growth, uh, pricing, and in, in import export uh, out of China. So those those three things are really important. To, what, what, to what, what, do you, what do you mean the, the market? things in the markets will, will start to shift. Because obviously if you come back online, there's more product in the market, that's going to affect pricing for sure at, at the yep. scales you're talking about, right? So you need yep. to have secured your fixed price contracts or long-term contracts before you make an announcement into the market. Is that, is that how it works? No, I'm saying that we have to be confident that there is momentum which will sustain the uh, the re-entry of the llama into the market, and this is not a uh, you know it's not a science of course, uh, but it's also not um, you know something that we see is super difficult. If you go back to the first half of 2019, um, you know annual EV production was running at two two million units. Uh, Balama was running at about 50% capacity and we were putting more than 15,000 tonnes a month into the market. If you look at the EV market today, um, you know, the, the recovery that we've seen in the, in the last few months is having the, the market running at 3 million units uh, pro rata um, with really good growth momentum behind it as well. So as that feeds through the supply chain into anode production and natural graphite demand, if that momentum is there as well, um, then we see that, that bringing Balama back online at those same sort of levels is something that uh, will work well. Okay. You've mentioned ESG. Now, clearly in the automotive space um, with these OEMs, they are they need to kind of see that the full supply chain, you know, meets the same standards, for, whether it be carbon neutral um, through to, right, you know, practices um, with, throughout your organisation, et cetera. So, Yep. Does that add a lot of cost to what you're doing? No, uh, absolutely not. I mean, it, the, I'll separate Balama uh, and, and Vidalia. The Balama project right from its inception was set up with, um, you know, the, the highest global standards of ESG in mind because it was a minimum 50-year mine life project. Um, so, you know, working in, in Mozambique, we've had a, a fantastic relationship with the government. Um, and we've we've worked really positively with the local host communities as well, uh, and made sure that they're part of uh, the development of the mine. From an environmental perspective, we work uh, to to the same standards that we'd be working at uh, in Australia or anywhere else. Um, so that ESG differentiation is is part of uh, the very bedrock of um, the way that Balama has been developed. Um, and it gives us a really strong differentiation point against some of the uh, some of the existing production 
um, which uh, uh, which is primarily in in China. Um, when I look at the U.S., um, you know, we, again, we uh, we're, we're planning and designing uh, the Vidalia facility and what we've just uh, um, announced in the BFS uh, to to ensure that it is environmentally um, differentiated compared to some of the existing production, because we understand that those requirements um, and U.S. and, and European OEM requirements are. Uh, stringent and they're only going to become more stringent. One of the real benefits of the integration between Balama and Vidalia is that you have that full traceability and auditability of the material back to source. It's interesting, actually. And, and just the process um, in the US, is it entirely green? You know, so some companies, again, they come in and go, oh, we, we buy carbon credits, it's fine. Process is a little bit messy, but we can, we can offset that. So it seems like kind of a synthetic solution to it. So I mean, how how does it work there with you know milling, shaping, purification, etc.? Is that is it a entirely green process itself? No, it's it's not an entirely green process. What we're doing is is uh, putting in place a manufacturing facility which works to to the the standards that are absolutely required in the U.S. that minimises uh, any environmental impact, but utilises the most efficient power source that that we um, uh, that we can source. Uh, and that, that creates a, a great uh, cost-competitive, high-quality product, but one which is, um, you know, uh, I guess, manufactured in, in, in a way which is responsible from uh, an environmental, social and governance perspective, but also um, is, is focused on a cost-competitive outcome. Because ultimately, um, the market will drive to, to price and quality as the first stops on long-term supply, and ESG is important, um, but it will always be compared against the cost uh, of of alternatives for sure. Okay, so messages you're in, you seem to be in control of the bits that you're in control of, which is great. But the the market conditions is the kind of the final final um, element that you're looking to, and you'll make a decision at some point in 2021. You hope, right? Yeah, I would uh, absolutely hope that uh, the Balama can can restart through the course of 2021, um, and uh, I also believe that the combination of um, the the testing uh, qualification processes uh, and the BFS and our interaction with OEMs and cell manufacturers puts us in a position to. Um, to progress funding for for Vidalia in 2021 as well. So we've got a lot of exciting stuff ahead of us next year, um, and certainly we've laid uh, you know the foundations for that through a pretty challenging time over the last uh, 12 months or so. That it has been. 2020 is, was no different. Um, look, Sean, thanks so much. Uh, it's nice to learn about the world of uh, graphite. It was, it was something that we don't see very, very often. So thank you for helping us wade our way through that. Um, good luck for the coming year. Got a few exciting moments coming up, I hope. Uh, stay in touch. I'll be delighted to take your phone call. Excellent. Thanks very much for the time, Matt. Appreciate the interest and uh, great to talk with you. Thank you for listening. If you've enjoyed the interview, why not subscribe to Cruxcast or our website, cruxinvestor.com, and of course, our YouTube channel, Crux Investor. Plus, you can catch us most days on Twitter and LinkedIn. We really love getting your feedback, so please keep it coming, and we'll speak to you again soon.